0: This is Together, an Ada Bible Church podcast about the world of marriage, where we attempt to invite you to explore the ways marriage works and doesn't work. From practical ways of learning to biblical inspiration, we invite you to listen to other professionals and couples to help enrich your marriage. Here are your hosts, Samuel Jones and Dr. Kelly Boniwell.
1: Samuel, it's so good to see your face. Uh, I haven't seen you in a couple weeks because you were off jet setting, (laughs) jet setting, and uh, traveling the world, or at least going to Florida. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, why don't you tell our listeners why you went to Florida?
2: Yeah. So, uh, if you've been listening, maybe you heard uh, an uh, one of our commercials, infomercials about the AACC conference and. The American Association of Christian Counseling Conference um, is what it's called. And I got the great opportunity, along with a delegation of Ada Bible Marriage Mentors, mm-hmm. to go to this conference in Orlando, Florida. They have it every two years um, for the World Conference, every year for the National Conference. And uh, it was just a great opportunity, Kelly, to listen to and learn from from some of the great minds, counseling minds of the world. You know, they they had everything uh, smorgasbord, as I'll say, of information, and it was just powerful to hear them talk about everything from sex to emotional security to narcissism to trauma and abuse to several of the topics that we talk about on this podcast, Um, but even at more deeper intimate levels because some of these people are, you know, not only professionals, but experts in their fields. Mm. And I think not only myself, but several of the marriage mentors walked away with some really good quality information. And um, if you've ever thought about becoming a marriage mentor, hey, this is a great reason why. Yeah, <laughs> that's go, awesome. you know, and so just really excited about what we learned there and and even as we get into the topic today, you know, I walked into a class, I'll tell you about this this uh, example, I walked to this class um, at the ACC conference, Kelly, and one of the classes talked about just uh, talked about trauma, which is one of the topics that we'll be getting into today. And um, his name was Dr. David Hawkins, and he just shared about how important it was um, for the healing process to occur. One one quote that he said was, real healing can't occur In the midst of emotional abuse and that just got me thinking I was like oh my goodness that's right we're getting ready to talk about this with Mm. Lisa Tamblyn Bergman and Mm -hmm. and this is going to be just amazing and so just those those concepts about you know how do we really navigate this piece of previous or past traumas in our life or sometimes even complex trauma. And what does that actually mean? And so I'm excited about this podcast and yeah, me what too. we'll all learn and what our listeners will learn. So,
1: yeah, me yeah. too. So, yeah. a little intro. So, I've known, so we're going to interview Lisa Tamblin Bergman. And just so our listeners know, at ADA, we have a list of about 40 counselors that we vetted, that we work with, that we love, that we trust with. Um, when we refer somebody to them, uh, because as you know, Samuel, mm-hmm. uh, just because you call yourself a counselor doesn't mean <laughs> you're a good counselor. It's true. And, uh, and, and Lisa is definitely one of our good counselors. So as mm-hmm. one example, mm-hmm. uh, often or every now and then, I'll have one of our staff come to me and say, hey, Kelly, uh, I met with somebody and they have some form of addiction. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you know what I tell them? What do you say? Go see Lisa Tamblin Bergman. I <laughs> know that's <'Kay>? right. Because <laughs> that is a definitely, she does a lot of work. She has a lot of knowledge. And uh, even to the point, um, I shared this story with her earlier. Um, I have somebody very, very close to me. Um, and uh, his grandson had uh, pretty severe heroin and other addictions and uh, moved here from Ohio to live with his grandparents. And, uh, even so I'm close to his grandpa. Mm -hmm. And, uh, even to the point when, uh, Ken is his name. Ken told me that he was going to have his grandson move in with them. And I'm like, "Mm, I didn't say anything at the time, but in my heart of hearts, I'm like, I don't know if that's such a great idea. Um, because this young man's addiction was, it was it was rough, it was severe, and it, it had been there for multiple years, and uh, I got the privilege to meet his grandson um, about a year after he had been here, and uh, one of the first things he told me, uh, I said to him, I said, uh, what what were what were some of the keys to your healing? Mm-hmm. And guess what he said, what Lisa was mm-hmm. a key to his healing. Wow. Uh, was wow. one of them, and uh, so we are so grateful to have Lisa on. So, Lisa, welcome to the podcast.
3: <laughs> Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Really, awesome. truly, it's a privilege.
1: Yeah. So, Lisa, why don't you? Um, we'll, we'll get more practical. Of uh, at first, just tell the listeners like who are you. Um, Maybe a little bit about your practice, your married, uh, your family, your interests, all those good okay. things. All
3: right. You give me free <laughs> reign here. Yes, free <laughs> reign. Well, Go for it. I'll start with what we talked about on the stairway. I'm into my seventh decade of life.
1: Oh, praise God. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot believe praise that. God. I know. I, I cannot.
3: It's not, you know, I'm in my 60s, so seventh decade is in your 60s, right? right. 60 to 70. Anyway, yeah, and- <laughs> I have two beautiful grown adult children who are both thriving. My son recently got married, and okay, I ha- now have two granddaughters as a result of that marriage. I am um, the stepmother for one daughter, and I am a grandmother in her in her marriage. So we've got a 13-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 6-year-old. All mm-hmm. girls. Lovely. So that's exciting. And... um I, you know, my husband, I am in a second marriage. We've been married, it will be 12 years in December. Awesome. I know, it's great. And he's retiring on Friday, so life is going to be, at least for him, it's going (laughs) to be a little bit different. Yeah, (laughs) so we get to, we both love to camp. He would not say camp, he would say glamp because we use a trailer. (laughs) And I, you know, I'll actually... We're going to try and spend a winter in this in this trailer in Arizona this year, so that's that's not the entire winter, but a month. So I am very, very thrilled to be able to do what I get to do I mean, I feel like I'm in my sweet spot right now, and you know for most of my career i was i worked in accounting and finance, and so people hear that and they're like, "What that mm-hmm. was quite a switch and Indeed it was, but I feel like, you know, I'm I'm actually doing what I was made to do, which is such a gift. Um, I grew up in a very, pretty dysfunctional family. Mm-hmm. My dad probably, I know he lived with mental illness. I don't know if it was diagnosed, but it certainly was not treated well. He drank and, you know, struggled with addiction most of most of my life that I remember, unfortunately. And so I early on learned some pretty icky, unhealthy coping strategies that fall in the codependent (laughs) line. So I am in recovery and probably always will be. Yeah. Um, you know, in one way, shape, or form from Mm -hmm. my temptations to lean back into that behavior. But You know, both of my children, as a result of my marriage to somebody very like my father, delightful and unpredictable, Mm -hmm. um, you know, my children struggled. And so both, but both of them, as I mentioned, are thriving, but they both had to go through their own dark nights Mm -hmm. to get there. So we have experienced trauma in in our family we have experienced addiction in our family and i think you know god in his his way of helping me navigate through through my own trauma has said hey here you are let's do this so that's what i get to do
2: yeah that's yeah. awesome that's awesome you know and uh your story is one that maybe some people can resonate with um, and, you know, to know what you've gone through second marriage, you know, having, you said like you said, your stepdaughter and your grandchild through that And and not necessarily initially going the counseling or therapeutic route um, But then journeying into that space through what you've been through and also through God's direction You know, I, I love that part when we got a chance to talk at the coffee shop, you know, and, and just to hear your story I walked away, it was like, man Lord, I got a lot of life to live still, you know, <laughs> I got some things to learn and, and you taught me a lot in those, in that conversation. And I appreciate that. And so I cannot wait for you to share um, about our topic today, um, because we know that with a lot of people who deal with addictions, um, there's something underneath that, that drives that behavior. And that thing often in cases that drives those behaviors sometimes is not only the neurons in your brain, but trauma, which is what we're talking about today. And so, um, If you can, just take a second and for our listeners who have never, ever heard the word trauma or maybe even don't even know the things around trauma, how that works, can you talk a little bit about some of those terms that we'll be talking about today with this?
3: Sure, sure. You know, I think the biggest thing that I have learned about trauma is that it happens in the body, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not, it is connected to an event or a series of events, but we need to understand that it is any it happens in the body and it's a protective response to something that you know people don't want to get into they don't want to experience pain they don't want to face what you know they're going through again and so they figure out ways often you know irrational often not even actually happening but ways to get away from the pain
1: mm. Lisa, on that note, I think what would be helpful for our listeners and Samuel, maybe you and I can share one or two things after Lisa does, like what what is like specifically what are trauma events? Like mm-hmm. practically speaking, so people can kind of picture this in their mind, mm-hmm. um, uh, what would be some traumatic events that... Again, I think there's a lot of people. This is out of their. This is not in their wheelhouse at all. Yeah, and they maybe have experienced trauma, Mm -hmm. and they don't even know it.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: What would be some specific examples?
3: Okay, I would say you know, I would say our experience collectively with COVID,
1: Mm -hmm. you know, Mm
3: -hmm. was a traumatic experience for a lot of people. Um, You know, I shared with you guys that I broke fell and broke my wrist that was a traumatic experience mm-hmm. for me. Um, you know certainly the biggies, you know war and uh, horrible accidents are are traumatic. so really, you know it can be I believe it can be anything
4: mm-hmm.
3: where there is a, a where the enemy I'll say gets a hold of us mm-hmm. and turns something into a horrible experience. Yeah. If that makes sense.
4: Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think that, uh, uh, you know, for example, I'm really glad you used the car accident because uh, I think a lot of people, um, they might be involved in a, a car accident and uh, they walk away from that experience and they go, oh, it was just a car accident. Mm-hmm. I think especially men would do this. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a car accident. But they don't realize that it can manifest in other ways after that event. So, for example, uh, being very reluctant to being in a car or experiencing anxiety uh, if somebody else is driving. So, yeah, thanks yeah. for those. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think of
2: another example, too, Kelly. Uh, I was talking with someone, and they were sharing with me what – They didn't really know was a traumatic event, you know, in their brain. They thought they were responding. So, you know, someone had a uh, a particular gentleman I was talking to had a daughter who uh, had called him while he was on the road heading in another direction. And she said, Dad, my house is on fire. And in that moment in his brain, he didn't know what to do. He was like, let me turn. So he turned his car around dead in the middle of traffic. Um, stopped what he was doing, and in that moment went to his wife to went to his excuse me, his daughter to help her out, um knowing that the fire department was on their way and all those things. But then what ended up happening after that, you know, long story short, every time he saw his his daughter's number on his phone or when he mm-hmm. called, it created a factor in his mind that said, mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, something's wrong mm-hmm. with my daughter. That's even a more simpler example of like what trauma can look yeah. like. That's it's exactly that, right. The indicator, mm-hmm. and so you know, I think one of the things that you really said I, I really loved is that you said something about um, that we have trauma responses. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about what a trauma
3: response is? Yeah. Well, you just described it. Yeah. You know, with your with this man seeing his daughter's phone number come up on his phone, and then just immediately going into fight, flight, freeze mode. Mm. You know, that's basically what a trauma response looks like, and it can show up. Pretty much anywhere, so you know, with my wrist experience, you know, I fell on the ground and um, my I was in excruciating pain, and my trauma response at that moment was to say all kinds of things I can't say on the podcast, <laughs> and then you know, to just to just do everything I could to make myself feel better, and I, if we could if we could look at. Human beings, when they're not at their best, in fact, when they're at their worst,
4: mm-hmm. and
3: know or wonder what's underlying there, as mm-hmm. opposed to just saying, you're a jerk. Um, I imagine God would be pretty happy with that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> mm. So you said something, and I want you to unpack it, Lisa. This aspect of a response of trauma is fight, flight, or freeze. Explain that to our listeners. What are those three dynamics and what do they look like in like real time?
3: Oh, that's a good question. Those are, those are survival ways that we survive. So when we're in survival mode, we're either, and it depends on our personality, our experience mm-hmm. as humans, what our preferred way of surviving is. We're either going to amp up and fight. We're going to leave, flee, or we're going to cower down and pretend we're not there. Mm. Does that
1: help? Oh, that's very that's, helpful. That's so huge. fight, flight, freeze. freeze. And there's Pain. another one now.
2: They yeah. call it fawning. You yeah. know, I don't know if you've heard that term, but fawning where um, someone in their experience now begins to per- regressive, progressively regress mm. <laughs> in their executive function of their brain. Mm-hmm. and. You're used to responding to something, but now because you're so present in the moment, you begin to just back off little by little in a sense it's called a fawning, so that's another one that they've recently mm-hmm. talked about okay. lately yeah um, and so in that, I'm wondering like so that's trauma that's the executive function of the brain with the fight flight freeze fawning triggers is another thing I've heard you mention what mm-hmm. are what are triggers
3: oh triggers are they can be anything, but mm-hmm. their uh, experience of, you know, it could be a sight, a sound, anything that sets us up to have that kind of a response where we feel like we're um, in danger or in an alcoholic or drug-addicted person's situation where uh, there's pending relapse. Mm. So it's a psychological response that we, it's automatic and so in treatment, you know, we want people to really zero in on what, what, those, respect, what those triggers are to better understand them so they can navigate through them.
1: Mm. So now Samuel used the story of the guy with the phone. Mm-hmm. That was a trigger, right? Yes. When he saw his daughter calling, that's a trigger. What are some, with some of the clients that you've worked with, what are some, maybe some other triggers That you've seen that you've had to like work on with clients.
3: Yeah, that's well. The one thing that comes to mind that I often hear in addiction is just the you know the they might smell bleach if they're Mm. a heroin addict, Mm. or they might have a be on a street corner where they used to pick up their drugs, or they might even just hear something. Somebody with PTSD might hear a tone of voice. So it can be very, very quick and automatic and, uh, and off to the races their bodies go.
2: Yeah. And maybe even someone in relapse. Um, I know you mentioned this uh, when we talked. Uh, you talked about when someone was struggling with addiction. Um, you know, what kind of triggers for relapse might someone experience?
3: Say that for relapse? Or- yeah.
2: If they were in relapse of, you know, some type of addiction, okay. what were some of those? Uh, Triggers that they may incur.
3: Okay. So they're you're saying that they're already reusing again. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. So they're already using again Mm -hmm. and they're being triggered in their use. Gosh, I get, I don't know how that would be different.
2: Gotcha. You know? Yeah. So it sounds like it could be the same. So, you know, I think I remember you mentioning, um, Something about like stress. Um, oh yeah, yeah.
3: Oh yeah. You know anything? Because anything can feel intolerable. Uh huh. So stress in a relationship, stress in you know the life that they're living, work, whatever it might be. I mean, and that's and that works for both uh, for both trauma and and addiction. So really, that's where they're you know they they bleed into each other is that feeling of of life being Intolerable. So stress is number one for both of them. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah.
2: Totally.
1: hmm So uh Lisa, obviously together is uh our focus is on marriage and trauma definitely impacts every marriage on some mm-hmm. level. Um and uh you have some really interesting stories that I think can pull this out for listeners to see how this maybe could be acting in their relationship and they don't even know it. Mm -hmm. And uh, in one of the stories that um, I saw that you shared, uh, it was about a husband and a wife. And can you share that story?
3: Yeah, sure. Yeah. This, this comes to mind when I think about, about trauma and how, how often we, misunderstand what's really going on. So I was take, taking care of, or being with a uh, husband and wife as they were navigating whether or not to remain in their marriage. Um, the struggle was addiction. Mm. That was clearly the presenting problem. The wife was really struggling with uh, her in her recovery and had relapsed a number of times. So they were coming in, and they, they frequently fought in, in our sessions together. And, you know, it felt like they weren't going anywhere. Um, One time they came in and they both worked or had been at some place right downtown. And so they drove separately. And yet when they arrived, they had both, they had taken different routes to get to my office. And the husband was just beside himself because she had taken a different route than he had. And he couldn't figure it out. It made no sense. And she couldn't figure out why in the world would he make such a big deal mm-hmm. out of the route I took when we got here at the same time, and we, you know, reached the goal of making our counseling session together. And they went back and forth and back and forth, and uh, it, his, body, his body just kept amping up, and he was getting more and more frustrated that she could not see his point of view. And she couldn't understand why he was being so irrational right mm. and it turns out you know i i think i asked him you know i wonder if there's a fear related to this you know mm. and and he god bless him you know was willing to explore that a little bit with me and he said you know in a just very huffy and gruff <laughs> voice <laughs> well I was pretty sure she was going to stop off for some booze. Aha! There it is. Mm. You know, and he was willing to explore the possibility that he had re-entered his trauma from the time she had her last relapse. Mm. And so there's there's the possibility for gold there, you know, in just that particular experience. You know, where somebody can understand once they get all their defensive stuff out of the way, they can really understand, oh, this isn't about that. Mm. This is about something much deeper, you know?
4: Yeah,
2: that's really good. Uh, I think that there's those moments, Lisa and Kelly, where we don't necessarily know the language that we need to use in those moments. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to figure out things based off our experiences, (laughs) You know, and I can imagine the amount of listeners and couples are like, yeah, I've had that happen, you know, where I thought something was going, something else was going on or I was really hiding behind my own feelings or thoughts and ideas about a thing. And and then I needed to get to that space where, well, maybe this isn't about that, as you said, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's really important.
1: I love that. And I think that will be very helpful for couples, even if you're not like, say, for example, married to an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. And that is, uh, and this has definitely happened to me. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's happened to all of us in this room. And that is I'm angry about something. Uh, And it might be seemingly inconsequential, like a a route, you know, where you get angry (laughs) at your spouse Mm -hmm. about something. And you're really, as you mentioned, Lisa, you're really amped up. But maybe for us to take a pause... And ask, okay, what am I really angry angry about? Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: That's good. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I guess kind of taking this one, even
2: one layer deeper, how do you, how do you like maybe help someone who's trying to deal with how to process their internal emotions or maybe even doesn't
3: have the
4: language? Yeah. You know, how do you help someone with that?
3: Yeah. It takes time. (laughs) It's different for everybody. Um, I'll share one story that, and this person was ready. Thankfully, it was such a joy to work with them. Uh, situation was his, his wife had been caught in betrayal and I think she'd had a number of affairs. And she was doing her own work around her own trauma that had occurred in childhood that led her to this behavior. All, all really good stuff. He was not. He didn't think he had any, anything to contribute to what was going on in their marriage and how they got there. Uh, and so he wanted to do marriage counseling. And again, you know, it became very clear because his body language was like, this isn't about me, this is about her. We got we to figure out what she needs to do to change. And he didn't have awareness at all about what his own um, trauma was, really. And so what what was very, very clear after maybe the second or so time is that we weren't going to make any progress unless he started doing his own work. And so he was willing. He was willing. He wanted to, you know, open that door. And I was surprised because... His body language at our sessions communicated nothing about his willingness to do it, but something had happened. Humility had come in. God had done what only God can do, and he was willing. And so a lot of it had to, I mean, I'm obviously a big proponent of education. We need to get educated around trauma, what it really is. And so he was willing to do that. He was also willing to look at his own woundedness and and do his own inner work about how his life experiences had led him to the place where he is because he was reliving his own trauma all the time and he was he was able to look at that and process it a big part i believe of trauma work is uh, is getting away from our cognitive thinking Mm. and allowing god to heal our bodies because mm-hmm. that's as we talked about earlier, that's where trauma sits. And so um he was he was willing, and not everybody is willing to do engage meditation, you know, allow himself to slow down, allow himself to really ground and you know, let go of all the the logic, the rational thinking, the um a A plus B equals C or
1: whatever.
4: Mm.
3: does that does that help yeah what did that
1: look i really like what you said but uh unpack that a little bit what you just said about how he got from point a to point b of dealing with as you said getting out of cognition and more into his spirit soul heart feelings etc yeah like what did that practically look like you
3: practically for me what what often works, if somebody's willing, is to do some, some guided meditation. You know, so uh, a lot of people, especially I will say especially men, mm-hmm. have struggled getting mm-hmm. out of their cognitive belief that, yeah, I know God loves me. Let's get on with it, you know. And, and this person was willing to, okay, I know God loves me. But show me, God, how you love me in my being, in my mm-hmm. body, in my heart. And so, guided meditation, meditation of any kind, slowing down, prayer. There's so many cool practices that people can get uh, that can can use that are meaningful to them that help them get connected with God's love for them. Yeah, that's and and that's that's a key. That is such a key. And so. You know, when we're in that place, then God doesn't seem far away. Jesus is right there with us, and he can help us unpack, you know, our trauma, our memories, you know, things that we believed from childhood that turned into wounds that mm-hmm. God wants to heal.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And so, does that help?
1: Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. I, in fact, I have uh, two examples Uh, of first you mentioned a wound from a childhood Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, and what I'm about to share doesn't happen to everybody, but it happened to this young woman. Mm. There was this young woman, she had had an eating disorder, uh, all the way up until her thirties had been to countless counselors. Okay. Uh, had not made any progress, was really impacting her physical health. Uh, to where she had to admit herself a couple times to a hospital. And um, she uh, she was working with a counselor who had a, a, a technique. And in this technique, what he had her do is he had her kind of meditate on maybe some of the lies that she had spoken to herself. Um, and... Really cool experience. She found the core lie. And the lie was, and again, this doesn't happen to everybody, but it happened to her. And this was her life experience. She was in middle school, seventh grade, I think. And she's walking with a friend around the block in their neighborhood. And her friend grabs her wrist, okay, and puts her fingers around it. And her fingers, her friend's fingers can't get all the way around her wrist. And the friend says to her, uh, we'll call her Camille, (laughs) Camille, you're fat. And Camille looks at her friend and says, what do you mean? I'm fat. And her friend, stupid middle school thing, right? Really stupid. It probably happens a lot more than we, we know. Uh, and her friend, and so she goes back to her friend and she says, what do you mean by that? And this friend put her fingers around her wrist and her fingers touched. And, uh, and her friend said, see, my fingers can touch. I'm skinny, but you're fat. And at that moment in time, by going through this process, um, she realized at that point as a seventh grade girl, she said, I'm never going to be fat. Mm-hmm. It's powerful. Amazing. Yeah.
3: It's and powerful. that's exactly how it happens. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Lisa and Kelly, I like how you talked about this term guide guided meditation. And and sometimes I think it's really important for our listeners. Our listeners might be like, Oh my goodness. They're talking about meditation. Let's, let's hold on. Wait a second. And I think that I want to just dispel a myth about what meditation is and what it isn't. because I think that's going to be really important for mm-hmm. our listeners mm-hmm. and, and let me first give you some scripture <laughs> about it. Um, Joshua 1 and 8 talks about in the context of Joshua and Moses. And in this context, they use this, this passage says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful to meditate literally means to think on a thing and to use your thoughts. And even when we talk about Philippians 4 and 8. You know, it's this patch that says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about, think on, meditate on such things. So when we're talking about meditation, we're talking about, yeah, it's an opportunity for you to think on gradually, slowly the things that can be helpful for your brain to slow down Mm and process what's going on. It's not just, oh, I have a quick thought, I'm okay, I'm loved. No, what does love Mm -hmm. feel like? What does love really mean? And so in those moments when we're talking to individuals in therapy or uh, to couples who are navigating how they really feel or think about certain things, we're telling you, slow down and have an opportunity to, 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 to meditate on, gradually think on. What that means and i think that's really important Thank you know you. when we're yeah. talking to our listeners and so um
1: samuel i got another one for you okay that, that's really good that yeah. i've used that's been really powerful i think it's a franciscan uh form of meditation uh one way to think about it meditation what it makes you do all of our lives are busy 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 and we're going 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 mm-hmm. right and say uh we're going to read our bible. Uh we're going to we're going to make a commitment to read our bible every day. But what we do is we like read it as fast as we can because we got to get to work, mm-hmm. right? That's not really a great way to read the bible. Exactly. Okay. So one of the things I would really challenge our listeners when it comes to your relationship with God, find ways to slow down. Slow it down. Okay. Yeah. So I'll give you one that I've used that's been really helpful. And that is what you do is when you're reading the Bible, especially like if you're reading the Gospels. Okay, this is really helpful if you're reading the Gospels. Read the story, but then after you read the story, maybe you close your eyes and what you do mm-hmm. is you put yourself in the story. Mm-hmm. Okay? it's really good. So one example would be um, uh, Peter. When he denies Jesus. What you can do is slow down, read the story. It's a really powerful story about faith and betrayal and restoration eventually. But then what you do is you put yourself in Peter's shoes. How am I like Peter? Mm -hmm. How do I betray Jesus? And in that, in a way, can possibly deepen your relationship with God. And it personalizes it Mm -hmm. totally quite a bit. Mm -hmm great
3: one of the one of the questions i ask clients who are also you know maybe seeing me for counseling and some spiritual direction is how have you experienced god's love today Mm -hmm. you know and so like with your example of peter in his worst moment you know of denying jesus how did how did god still love him in that moment you know like he does all of us in our worst moment Mm -hmm. Mm,
2: that's so good so good so listeners i hope you are ready for more of this uh we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back
0: Here at Ada Bible Church, we have ministry specifically for women, and that ministry is called Thrive. If you are a woman looking to connect with God and with others, we invite you to join a Thrive group or to connect with one of our Thrive events. To learn more about Thrive Women's Ministry, you can visit adabible.org slash women.
1: So we are back. And uh, I love this conversation we're having about how faith impacts trauma, and one of the really interesting things about you, Lisa, is that you are also a spiritual director. And um, some of our listeners might not know what that means. What does that mean? What did you do? Uh, how do you work with people in terms of spiritual direction? Can you give us some uh, some good stuff about that?
3: I think so. Good. I'll try. Uh, you know, as a therapist, uh, my preferred mode of, of therapy is person-centered. And that means, you know, meeting people where they're at and, and moving from that place. So when I learned about a spiritual direction program over at the Dominican Center, I, I was very curious about it. I didn't really know what spiritual direction meant. And I'm not sure I do yet,
4: mm-hmm.
3: but what I do know is that it's an opportunity. It's an invitation to be with a spiritual companion, a person who loves God, who longs for e- to accompany you into a deeper relationship with God. And so, for three years, um, I spent a lot of time understanding that I didn't have to understand what that meant, if that Mm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, Being open and letting go are key to spiritual direction. Um, It's an unfortunate term because there's not a lot of direction going on. It's a lot of listening. So uh, a spiritual director, and I've been working with one for probably close to 10 years, You know, and every time I get together with her, I have no idea what we're going to talk about. But by God's grace, we find something very, very meaningful. And she'll just ask me a question. I mean, she is always listening, you know. And so she will ask a question that most often will take me off guard. And then I have the opportunity to see it as an invitation from God to wonder about that, if that makes sense. So in the three years uh, I went through the program, we learned a lot of spiritual practices like those that you guys have touched on in our time here, ways of reading scripture that slow us down to be able to really hear and experience God's love for us. Mm. Um, That's the aim is to know that we are God's beloved and that we are are truly, you know, he is who he says he is. And he loves us the way he says he loves us. Does that make good.
2: sense? That's so good. Yeah. And 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 so then those pieces impact our not only our relationship our only our relationship okay. with God, but it impacts how we then view the lens of what has happened to us and how it impacts us. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of just, you know, even further with that, unpack this piece of how our relationship with God impacts the very intricacies of our identity. You know, how can, how does those things play out? And then how does that impact the things that we've been through?
3: Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hard to use any other word than mystery Mm. and trust. And so trusting in the mystery That we are, you know, made in the image of God and that God is good. And by his grace, we too are good. Mm. And so living into original goodness, you know, unfortunately in a lot of churches, we learn more about our, 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 our sin, you know, our original sin more than we learn about our original goodness. And so spiritual direction kind of flips that over. And I think in so doing, you know, it opens the door. It gives us freedom to to know who we are and to be who we are instead of, you know, always falling under this rock of, oh, yeah, but I'm, I'm really, you know, I have a sinful nature.
1: Mm-hmm. Are there any uh, other, like, key—we talked about, like, guided meditation— what were maybe some of the other key, like, for a better word, technique yeah. in working with somebody to get them to have a better understanding of who they are as a creation? Because mm-hmm. I totally agree with you. I think that um, one of the things I believe deeply is that God, we, we have, number one, we're a very, very unique creation. We are God's child. Mm-hmm. I mean, just meditate on that. Mm-hmm. Tonight, go stand out, look up in the stars, realize how vast our universe is, and realize that you are God's child, and he made you as an extraordinary person, okay, that he wants to use in this world to do amazing things, good things, sacrificing things. Uh, But one aspect of spiritual direction um, is changing our concept of who God is, Mm -hmm. okay, So, I became a Christian when I was 19, and uh, it wasn't until I was 27 did I realize that my view of God was really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It was incorrect. Um, Deep down, and I would have never said this with words, but it was just how I lived life um, kind of unspoken and very subtle that God was always angry at me, mm. right? Mm. Um, even when I did something good, the voice that I maybe would have heard was, yeah, you could have done better. And that has really flipped for me now that I'm like many years older. But what are some of the other techniques or things that you're trying to utilize in spiritual direction to get people to that type of place.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you hit a big one on the head by just inviting us to go look up in the vastness of the skies, be out in creation. You know, that, that can be a huge one for many, many people and experiencing creation in the ways that connect with them as individuals. So it could be, you know, somebody going and sitting and looking at the veins of a leaf. You know, it could be somebody sitting in a shed in the middle of a thunderstorm. But those, and we know it in our bodies. You knew, you know it when you're experiencing something of awe, right? Mm-hmm. And And God surprises us with such ordinary things over the course of our daily lives if we're willing to slow down.
4: Mm-hmm. So
3: anything that will allow a person to slow down some mm-hmm. is very impactful mm-hmm. and they know it when they've done it yeah. you know so so those kinds of things being out in nature um there's a there's a practice called Lexio divina mm-hmm. and maybe you've heard of that but that too is you know a sacred reading of god's word mm-hmm. and and you know it's one of the things that we practiced every time we got together in our spiritual direction, was we would there would be a piece of scripture or another um, a passage from a poem or something that was totally about God, and we would listen for a word or a phrase that connected with our hearts. Mm. And you know when that happens mm-hmm. when you're when you're open,
4: mm-hmm. when
3: you're open to listening, and that that is so powerful. And once people connect with that it becomes something that they long for. I've got a <laughs> I've got a directee who goes to the river all the time. I mean in her imagination, you know, that's where God meets her, mm-hmm. is at the river. And so if anything over the course of the day trouble trouble bubbles up in her or something, she she knows no matter where she is or what she's doing, she can stop and reconnect with God at the river. That's so, so
1: cool. You know what that makes me think of? All those different times where the scripture says, Jesus went up to a mountain and prayed, yes, right? Yes, That's where he was reconnecting. Yep. So, Lisa, let's go back to our all of this talk about the importance of God in our life and bringing healing and all that uh, amazing stuff. Let's go back a little bit as we kind of close out our podcast and just talk about... Uh, There's three topics that I want us to um, talk about a a little bit in depth, and that are wounds, feeling safe, and then you brought something up at the beginning, uh, a word that I think our listeners probably have heard before, but I don't know, if some of them might not know what it means, and that is codependency. Mm, Okay, Okay? so let's start with uh, codependency. Okay. What does that mean? What does it look like in real time? Okay?, uh, maybe even share an anecdote from your own life, et cetera, yeah. et cetera.
3: Well, I'll start there because it's it's always where I start because it's right there. Um, i was I was very much I became very much aware of my hitting the definition of codependence when I was married to my ex-husband. And everything, all of my energy went into making him okay. And so if you asked me, what do you like on your pizza, Lisa? I would say, I don't know. What do you like? You know, that's classic codependence where we don't know where we start and where you end. Mm. We're, just a, we're just glommed onto you. Whatever makes you happy is what we're about. And so it can be really tragic because God made me unique. He did. And for a purpose. And um, for many years I didn't I wasn't connected to that. Mm. So codependent, it's a good word to describe that.
2: Yeah, so the wound did that create a wound for you and and how did you navigate that or how would you help listeners navigate if they saw that? Oh yeah, I do that with my spouse too. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. You know, what kind of wound does that sometimes create?
3: Yeah. I would ask, you know, when have you felt like this before, Mm -hmm. you know, um, the, the when did you know what you liked on your pizza? Was there a time when you knew what you liked on your pizza? Mm
4: -hmm.
3: Um, those are you know can be probing ways of identifying you know having that awareness is key to you know that's a big deal to begin with oh yeah that's me too Huh, what do i do about that does that does that answer the yeah. question
2: yeah yeah and i think even there's a layer there um lisa that you're you're beginning to unpack where in your experience just in the pizza you know and and you know, not knowing what it is that you desire because you're always making sure that the other person's satisfied. Mm-hmm. When you get into a later stage of of your marriage and in your life, now all of a sudden you're in a space where I don't know what I, who I am, what I mm-hmm. like, what I experience. You know, um, if I like to go out anymore, I just do everything based on what that other person mm-hmm. needs. But then when you start to have some self discovery, there's this process where now I have no idea what to do,
4: yeah. or who scary. I am.
2: And that creates a wound. Yeah. And then all of a sudden that impacts the other person as well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you're trying to figure out and navigate what to do in those moments. What would you say to to that couple? You know, who's like, yeah, I'm I'm in self-discovery mode again. I'm not sure what I should do.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I would encourage them to rejoice.
4: Mm.
3: Because often, I mean, if you think about it. I think most people don't want to have be in relationship with themselves all the time mm-hmm. you know so they married this person because they are who they are and in a how in a any marriage we long for each each one in the partnership to thrive and be who they're made to be and you know christians get that we say it all the time And so how do we, how do we help? Where do we go from this place to help you become who you were made to be? And hopefully the, the spouse is on, is on board, you know, with that, realizing what a gift it is to have come into that awareness. It doesn't happen all the time because of expectations, because of, you know, the, the way they've done life up until this point, um, I will. It's probably the reason that my marriage ended up in divorce because my spouse wasn't, wasn't willing to go along with me on the ride of self-discovery. Mm. It wasn't a value. Mm. So it's scary. It is scary. Yeah. And it's good.
2: Yeah. So would there be a, a potential recommendation? Let's just say, you know, on the other side of, of, a, of the situation, your spouse wants to help the person going through self-discovery feel safe.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: How do you create safety
3: mm. as a spouse? Yeah. You let go of your expectations as best you can, you know, letting go of the equations that we make up in our heads about how marriage should be about how married, you know, who I, who I married and really open up your heart and mind to uh, the good things that are Around the corner, the possibilities and have hope about what the future will look like um, just that communicates a lot like I am on I am with you in this, and we 're going to do this together uh, and just showing up and behaving that way you know I mean it's all, so much is about trust and um, when when a spouse actually experiences something that's different, you know, instead of getting pushback, why are you doing this? You've never done this before. Um, trust, trust builds and there becomes a willingness to explore, you know. Hope that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah can we end on a high note here? Yeah. Um, can you think of a couple that either struggled with trauma, deep wounds, maybe a mental illness, a couple do you have a story where that you've worked with somebody and they got to the other side
3: yeah well the one the one couple where he was willing and this isn't necessarily codependency but it is definitely trauma the couple that i mentioned with their the betrayal multiple betrayals you know she continued to do her work he worked with me for quite a while i saw them together Periodically. And they they committed to doing the work within themselves and with each other and discovering who they are together in a new way. And to my knowledge, I haven't seen them for a bit yet, probably a year. To my knowledge, they are thriving mm-hmm. in their marriage and their relationship in ways they never could have had mm-hmm. they not gone through this process.
4: Yeah.
2: That's that's powerful. Um and I would be amiss too, Kelly. Before we end this podcast, you have this, this list of 12 very important things of of what to do and where to begin. And I want you to I just want you to just lay us down with that list um for our listeners before we go off the air to just kind of give them, you know, what to do, where to begin in this this discovery process. What yeah. is that list of 12 things that you've recommended?
3: Yeah. Um, first of all, you know, I I highly recommend talking to either a professional or somebody who gets what you're going through. You know, if you're noticing behavior in your in your spouse or in yourself, that's unsettling, get help. Um, If, if it is something you're wondering about trauma, or if your partner or yourself has discovered a trauma, I had one client who very, very quickly had one of those moments where God's like, yeah, we're going to heal this now. And it was a past sexual trauma, Mm -hmm. you know, like just landed that in your lap. I'm like, "What what do we do with that? So, get education about about trauma. you know, explore we talked about this before, explore expectations and disappointments, fears, all that stuff within within the marriage, and just being open with yourself i I encourage people to lament, you know because even with addiction, I was reading this, you know we so often as counselors don't want to glorify the addiction, but there's there's sadness in letting go of a drug, or sadness of letting go of any way of life, is even if it's dysfunctional. So allowing allowing yourself to lament and letting God into that lament is key. I am a huge fan of support groups, so um, because the people are that go when you first go to a support group, if you've been struggling, you're with people who totally get it, and all of a sudden you realize how alone you have felt. And in that support group, you realize I am not alone. That is so powerful. Um, I, always, I always encourage people to develop self care and spiritual practices, practicing letting God into every part of your day. You know, whether you're pumping, pumping gas or, you know, buying gum, whatever, there's something about just being that open channel that we've talked about and, and allowing God to love you. Yeah. Slowing down mindfulness. spiritual prayer. I like to encourage couples who are um, longing for deeper relationship with each other and with God to do some spiritual practices together. so and there are lots of ways to do that in prayer, um, of course, and you know reading scripture together, doing that lexio Divina together might be something that would be helpful. And just, just so we know, we get used to, my gosh, I never knew that about you, you know, because <laughs> we get so complacent and lazy in our relationships. And God's like, do you know how awesome that person is that you're married mm, to? Yeah. So and it can just, it can be fun um, and also painful because God is always in the business of healing. And the P word, practice, practice, <laughs> practice. <laughs> You know, God is, because he's always healing, we need to be mindful and always practicing the, the new um, things that God is teaching us. And just remember, it's never too late to repair a relationship, mm. even if it's one-sided. You know, um, in my marriage to my first husband, I have done the work of, of repairing yeah. my relationship, even though it's one-sided, and forgiveness. I love this quote by Richard Rohr that says, the flow of grace is the ability to forgive reality for being what it is and not what we want it to be.
1: Wow. Lisa. Incredible. This is so good. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. And this has been a great conversation. I hope uh, you listeners have enjoyed it and learned a thing or two. So thank you for being with us today.
0: Oh, thanks, Lisa. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Together. We hope that you've learned a thing or two. If you find the podcast helpful, please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your listening platform is and give us a five-star rating. If you'd like more information on Ada Bible Church and its ministries or someone to pray or dialogue with about your marriage, go online and check out our website at adabible.org.